I'm Shelley Schlender. And I'm Joel Parker. And this is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. Today is Tuesday, May 10th, 2022. Coming up, brains in space. We hear about bikeways versus critical wildlife habitat. You can't build high-use trails through areas without fragmenting the habitat. A growing stress is climate grief. There is something about community witnessing you in your grief. And we get a sneak preview of the Gold Lab Symposium. I love being murky. Being murky is the only way to learn. If you think you know what you're doing in a thing as complicated as biology, you're a jerk. We begin with a look at some of the recent news in science. It's about a well-known symptom of dementia that also may be at play during travel in space. For more, here's Joel Parker. This is a story about brains in space. Humans evolved in Earth's gravitational environment, and our brains and other physiological systems developed to function and even to take advantage of gravity. If humans are to have a long-term presence in lower gravitational places, like on the moon or the zero-g environment of space, it is important to understand how our bodies function there and what we might need to do to minimize the negative impacts. To find out how our brains physically react to long-duration living in a low or zero-g environment, researchers from Oregon Health and Science University used MRI, magnetic resonance imaging, to measure perivascular spaces in the brains of 15 astronauts before and after extended tours of duty on the International Space Station. These perivascular spaces are where cerebral spinal fluid flows along veins and arteries in the brain. They are integral to a natural system of brain cleansing that occurs most effectively during sleep. Known as the glymphatic system, this brain-wide network clears metabolic proteins that would otherwise build up in the brain. The scientists made the MRI measurements before the astronauts launched, then again immediately after they returned to Earth, and several times over the following six months. Comparing the before and after images, they found an increase in the perivascular spaces within the brains of first-time astronauts, but no difference among astronauts who previously served aboard the space station. This implies that the change reaches a stable equilibrium that doesn't increase after more time in space. Enlargement of perivascular spaces occurs in aging and also has been associated with the development of dementia. However, the researchers in this project found no problems with the astronauts' balance or visual memories that might suggest neurological deficits. This study, recently published in the journal Scientific Reports, might help us to understand fundamental changes that happen not only during spaceflight, but also for people on Earth who suffer from diseases that affect circulation of cerebrospinal fluid. For How on Earth, I'm Joel Parker. And if your head explodes with the I'll see you on the dark side of the moon
An event that shocked many people around the world happened this year on Earth Day when a Boulder Buddhist named Wynne Allen Bruce set fire to himself outside of the U.S. Supreme Court. In a statement soon after his death, the Rocky Mountain Ecodharma Retreat Center wrote that none of the Buddhist teachers in the Boulder area knew anything about Wynne Bruce's plan to self-immolate on Earth Day. Had they known, they wrote, they would have stopped him in any way possible as part of their spiritual, legal, and moral responsibility. Was Wynne Bruce's action part of a wider grief that involves climate change? And can people find ways to respond to climate grief that might foster a healthy resiliency? For How on Earth, here's Melissa Bailey. Wynne Bruce was a Buddhist who lived in Boulder and cared deeply about climate change. I knew him to be a gentle person who loved to dance. In late April, on Earth Day, he set himself on fire at the U.S. Supreme Court. It was an apparent protest of climate change. His death, as well as recent wildfires, are calling attention to something called climate grief, feelings of loss, depression, or anxiety about global warming. Bruce died just weeks after a report came out from the United Nations. The report warns that climate change is harming people's mental health through rising temperatures, extreme weather, and loss of livelihoods and culture. The UN predicts that these mental health challenges, including anxiety, stress, and trauma, will grow as the planet warms. Kriti, who goes by one name, is a Boulder-based climate scientist and a Zen priest. She was also a personal friend of Wynne Bruce. She's become a national expert on climate grief. In a conversation recorded before Bruce's death, she spoke about how she helps people deal with difficult feelings around climate change. In the basement of her South Boulder home, Kriti leads a circle of 10 people in a traditional Buddhist chant. It's part of a weekly meditation circle she offers. She approaches the issue of climate grief from an unusual perspective. By day, she's a senior scientist at the Environmental Defense Fund. She started practicing meditation 20 years ago after she moved to the U.S. to start graduate school. Kriti didn't like studying computational biology as much as she had hoped, and she felt uprooted from her people, her identity, and her land. I was born and brought up in India, and when I came to this country in 2001, I was very depressed. And uh, a friend uh, introduced me to a local meditation group, and I noticed that as soon as I started meditating, nothing outside of me had changed. I hadn't found a direction in life or started feeling less uh, sad or angry about environmental issues but somehow I found a lot of grounding and I felt like a deep laughter rising from within me even though nothing outside had changed and basically I was hooked. Kriti became a Zen priest and started to teach meditation. In her own meditation she focused more on healing from personal experiences like the maladjustments from childhood and growing up without a father around. I did not bring 
what I felt about environmental issues and the climate grief, right? I did not bring it into my meditation. I felt that whatever I was learning as an environmental scientist uh, was an intellectual exercise and there, there were things that were distressing, but I did not know how to bring them to my meditation cushion. Kriti has a PhD in biochemistry and microbiology. She spends her days helping farmers in India adapt to the warming planet. She used to keep her scientific life and spiritual life separate. In 2014, she attended a workshop led by a celebrated deep ecologist who works with climate grief. That ecologist is Joanna Macy. When I met uh, Joanna Macy, her, her way of being and the framework that she presents had gave me permission, permission to bring my emotions around climate crisis and ecological devastation into my Buddhist world. She describes this ecological grief or climate grief on multiple levels. One of those levels is, she says, if if we are one with everything, which is what Buddhism claims, interbeing, you are the river. You are the land that has gotten polluted and has seen dumping of radioactive waste and she she goes down on the floor and she reads and sighs and flows and cries uh, cries of a river I just was sobbing incontrollably in that moment because it was a truth that no one had shown me so clearly it's like I could feel the river flowing through me and sobbing it's like someone touches you and you are ignited by what's firing them. It was that kind of a moment that she transmitted that climate grief to us. Since 2008, Kriti has led hundreds of people in community grief rituals of her own. She offers some circles just for people of color, for women, or for climate activists. Some of the transformations I have seen are so deep and profound. I've had people say they've done years of therapy and nothing happened and this one circle changed their life. Because there is something about community witnessing you in your grief that cannot happen if just one person witnesses you. Kriti says one-on-one -on -one psychotherapy is not going to be enough to help people grapple with the mental health challenges of climate change. She's especially concerned about vulnerable communities, including people of color and poor people. Marginalized communities, they already don't have uh, resources to access the best of what traditional psychotherapy can offer. The scale of climate trauma we're going to face in the coming years, even if we stopped all the greenhouse gas emissions today, is not going to be enough at all, at all. Uh, and we know that the burden of climate crisis is going to fall on these marginalized communities, people of color, low income, younger people. So I cannot talk enough about how we people need to learn to hold trauma, to sit with trauma, ourselves. 
Community grief circles need to be part of the ecosystem of mental health care, Kriti says. They shouldn't replace one-on-one -on -one therapy for people with serious mental illness, but they can be more affordable and make a greater impact for some people. Working through trauma and grief, she says, is crucial to taking action on climate change. And the question is, are we willing to feel that pain fully and realize the love, the interconnection that lies behind that pain and grief and then use it for skillful, wise action? Will we be able to do it? Melissa Bailey. Kriti is a senior scientist at the Environmental Defense Fund and an expert in climate grief. She did this interview before the death of the Buddhist climate activist Wynne Bruce, who set himself on fire at the U.S. Supreme Court on Earth Day. I knew Wynne, and so did Kriti. After his death, Kriti helped write and sign a public statement from Boulder Buddhist teachers. They said they did not know what he was planning and if they had known, they would have done everything they could to prevent his death. The United Nations warns that as rising temperatures, extreme weather, and other effects of climate change grow more severe, climate grief will become more common. Kriti encourages people who experience climate grief to ask for help, develop skills to calm their nervous systems, and find ways to build resilience and even joy as they work together to avoid climate catastrophes. This is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. I'm Joel Parker. Every year, Boulder's scientist, inventor, philanthropist, and entrepreneur Larry Gold presents the Gold Lab Symposium. It's an event open to the public where Gold gathers leading scientists and visionary thinkers to discuss an eclectic range of topics that all have to do in some way with the science of our human health. This year's symposium takes place next week on Thursday and Friday, May 19th and 20th. For more, How on Earth's Shelley Schlender sat down with Larry Gold to talk about the conference. Here are Shelley and Larry Gold. I remember some of these sessions from last year, and it was, it was very murky with glimmers in it. To accuse us of last year being murky in some way, that's my history. I am murky, and I love being murky. Being murky is the only way to learn. If you think you know what you're doing in a thing as complicated as biology, you're a jerk. You shouldn't act as though you know what you're doing. It's incredibly complicated. Maybe what I should have said instead of murky is you were acknowledging how much is not known. Yeah, well, I didn't mind either word. They're both, the, they're the same actually for me. And I like both of them. I like last year, we talked about the strange biology of 
animals that we never think of that do things we never thought of. Oh, that's right. Was it the armadillo? It was the armadillo. The armadillo that can make genetic expression happen in a different way Mm -hmm. than most biologists and geneticists would say is possible. It It was such a fascinating talk. And the guy was great. And now here at, at Somalogic, we've just run the armadillo quadruplicates on Somascan. And Backing up a little bit, so you took your ability at your company, which is Somalogic, to analyze the proteins in uh, armadillo blood. So not in a human body this time, in armadillo blood. And there's uh-huh. generally about... What is it, 7,000 proteins? 7,000 proteins we measure today in in the armadillos. We measure about half of 7,000, and that's because those proteins are similar enough to human proteins that we can detect them with the reagents we make. So we're going to pause for just a second to let it soak in this remarkable fact that of the trillions of cells in our bodies... And all of the, the different colors of people's eyes, their hair, how we're different from armadillos. Yeah. It's roughly 7,000 proteins being expressed in slightly different ways that make all of these differences happen. It's these proteins that make the difference between health and disease. Yep. Yeah, that's all true. 7,000. So, yeah, well, seven, there's only 20,000, so we've got 40% of the human proteome here, and it's growing all the time. So let me tell you now, let me break your thought and tell you about something that happened in the last two years that is just astonishing, okay? For 50 years in the kind of biology and stuff that I know, a man named Cyrus Leventhal, a physicist, declared that he had come upon a thing he named not modestly, Leventhal's Paradox. He was working on biology at MIT, and I met him in my life. He was maybe, I don't know, 20 years older than I, something like that. And he noticed a problem that needed to be solved, and he articulated it as the protein-folding problem. You just brought in another variable here, not just proteins, but how they fold. Yes, and we know a little bit about protein misfolding that's involved in Alzheimer's, and so we've begun to think about prions. We know something about proteins misfolding, but we don't really know how they fold in general. If you have a long linear sequence of amino acids that comprise a protein, you don't have a clue how to fold it up into its three-dimensional shape. Well, that's a very good point, that if you take a protein and just spread it out in a long line, Mm -hmm. that's different than shaping it into a B or an L or into an Alexander Calder sculpture. There's that much complexity and difference between different proteins based on their shape. Yes, and their sequence. Their primary sequence is the linear thing you described. There are 20 amino acids that are at each of, say, 400 positions. So you have 20 choices at the first position, 20 at the second. You can have 400 different dipeptides, two amino acids, and then you can have 400 times 20 more for three. But then when you get up to 400, the number is vast. It's a vast number. What's 400? 
uh, it's 20 to the 400. That's a big number. This is making those 7,000 to 20,000 proteins that can be identified in the human body a little more complicated. Well, and, and they represent, first of all, they represent a small set of what's possible in that world of the proteome. And secondly, we don't know how to fold them. Okay, so that got solved this past year and published. And it is, I think, the most remarkable thing that's happened in my entire science career. Who did this? It was done by a computer-based company. It was done in silico, as they would say, by a company called DeepMind. I'm Shelley Schlender. We've been talking with Larry Gold, founder of the Gold Lab Symposium. Tune in next week when Larry Gold shares with How on Earth a deeper look at Deep Mind and the murky world of science and human health. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. Our executive producer is Joel Parker. This week's show is produced and engineered by Shelley Schlender. Additional contributions by yours truly, Joel Parker, and Melissa Bailey. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music, Brain Damage by Pink Floyd, and Compassion from local musician Jonathan Goldman. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes and hot links to some of the events we've mentioned today. Questions or comments? Call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Shelley Schlender. And I'm Joel Parker.